0: Well, we are in off the first weekend in December that had a lot of intriguing action from London to Arizona. We're ready to recap it on the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is still playing a little hurt with the voice. Not feeling great, but he's hanging in there. Dan Rayfield, our insider, his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. You also read him as our content partner on BigFightWeekend.com as well. All right, my friend. I know, as I said, got a little cough, still playing a little hurt, but we got some good boxing. We were not going to let this weekend go by and not recap. We got some good results. Fury victorious, which we expected. Daniel Dubois in big trouble at the beginning of the fight and wins. Details on that. As expected, Chocolatito and Estrada deliver another tremendous fight with a lot of action and a lot of landed shots. So we had to be in here to recap this. Uh, Good to be with you, and we appreciate your time because I know – not only are you under the weather, but the Giants made you sick against the uh, the Washington football team, Commanders, or whatever they're calling themselves this week. by By It's a tie. It's a tie on Sunday evening. That's like a draw in
1: boxing. It just sucks.
0: Yeah, nobody wins. On that, the good news for my Buccaneers, they didn't play Sunday, so they did not lose. However, they are playing Monday night football as we release the podcast. At home with the Saints, big game for them. There's a little football talk, but we're here for it the feels boxing like All right a tie a tie can feel like a loss but sometimes 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 a tie though can get you into the postseason or something if you just get a tie i don't know anyway thank you for finding us however you did so social media link dan (laughs) promoting it through his Substack, uh we promote it through bigfightweekend.com and all the uh social media channels etc again a reminder that we come your way with a preview into the weekend usually out friday morning by midday Friday. And then we come back with a recap <clears throat> podcast. You get two of them uh, all the time as benchmarks recap podcast, usually ready late Sunday night or Monday morning and uh, plenty to talk about. And again, they want to follow or subscribe on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, because then we don't have to tell you, we don't have to remind you instead, you're going to get what a uh, Dan. You Rayford, tell, them. tell them, you oh, tell them, them this time. So they get a, they get a light, they get a vibrate, they get a ding, they get uh, a banner they get something that says new podcast dan rayfield's greatest You get hits. a bell. The, the, the bell you get some kind of notification that there's a new one there uh whenever we're off and running and that is what we're doing here okay let's begin with the uh wbc heavyweight champ the lineal heavyweight champ tyson fury as expected <clears throat> one big i've got a couple of comments to make including some strong comments about why this was allowed to continue to go on but i want you to recap it first he gets the stoppage uh, by TKO over Derek Chisora. Uh, your thoughts, main event, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Saturday night. It was cold, as expected, outdoor venue, December, hello. But he looked good, and you you put, I saw it on social media and in your article, it was target practice in a lot of ways uh, in this, but, but elaborate. Your thoughts on Fury's latest title defense win? When that fight
1: was over, I felt like I needed to take a shower because I was so disgusted by it.
0: I hated everything about
1: that fight. I hated it when it was when it was announced and made. I said so. It was like just sixty thousand people in a in a worldwide viewing audience watching Tyson Fury try to take a man's life. I felt like that was one of the worst beatings I've ever seen. Uh, it was. I know how Howard Cosell felt watching. T- date myself, watching Larry Holmes deliver a beating to Randall Tex Cobb. <laughs> that caused Howard Cosell after decades of calling boxing for ABC to basically quit the sport yes. because
0: he was so disgusted by that mismatch. Are you but, ready for my impersonation? Because no. I love, I hold I'm on. Not. I I'm actually good at Cosell. I may not be good at all of them, but his line that night as, as Larry Holmes continued to jab and pound behind the jab, Tex Cobb round after round with him, not even firing back. This referee is an advertisement. For the abolition of the very sport he's participating in, is, is, what God, is what Cosell uttered. And I still crack up at that almost 40 years later. We are dating ourselves. But in a lot of ways, this is kind of the same thing. I'm joining in with you. When the sixth round became the seventh round, became the eighth round, and Fury's landing 15, 20 hard shots around. what are we doing, Dan Rayfield?
1: By the way, yeah. may I say that
0: that Tyson Fury... Derek Chisora fight was almost 40
1: years to the day since Larry Holmes beat the living shit out of text. Wow. How
0: about that? So, nostalgia.
1: Look, and this is not a negative towards Derek Chisora. He's a warrior, man. The guy took a beating, mm-hmm. you know, he hung in there. He didn't go down. He stayed on his feet the entire time. He gave the best effort he could at his 38 years of age with a long career behind him. Uh, plenty of big shots that he's taken through the years. Uh, so nothing but my, my, my respect to Derek Chisora for the heart and the will, uh, cause he could have packed it in any time, but fuck his corner. They try to get this man killed. They were like, oh, we're doing all right. I mean, they just were, they didn't give a shit if Derek Chisora lived or died. I'm not trying to be like melodramatic. I really mean that. Like, I just don't think they gave a shit if this man lived or died because that fight should have been stopped several times. Uh, I mean, the fight should have never been made in the first place, but okay, fine. It was made. To Sora and Fury, are friends. He gave him the payday. Mm-hmm. He sure didn't act like his friend, like they said they wouldn't. But that was just uh, everything that's wrong about boxing. I mean, I don't care if there was a big crowd there. The fight should never have happened. It went exactly, if not worse, than anybody could have expected. And he just went in there and just beat the shit out of him. Now, I will say like, nobody seemed to care about it until I the last moment.
0: I will say in like the third and the fourth round. Chesora landed a couple of overhand rights. He showed some hope, was still aggressive, but clearly by the sixth round, this is what you're saying, and I'm I'm one thousand percent on board with you. By the sixth round and the seventh round, he's just taking punishment, taking punishment, and there is no haymaker punch it, that's going to change it. And and Andre Ward even said, finally, like in the eighth round. He's like, he's already taken his best shot, Chisora's best shot. What are I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing, what what are we, what do we need to see with him with his eyes swollen, almost swollen shut, eighth round, ninth round. What what are we doing? Blood coming out of his mouth. Yeah, you know. Look, you get enough. to a certain point in these fights, and it, it's not just this, one. I've seen this before, although
1: not necessarily the abject mismatch going in, where certain fights cross a line from being a competitive athletic competition to just public violence of just uh, uh, beating up somebody in the public. And it's no longer competition. It's no longer entertaining. Uh, it's it's just a guy beating the shit out of another guy, and, and they're, and they're going to get paid for it. I mean, and this was a terrible display. I do hope that Derek Chisora decides to retire. Uh, you know, he's had a, a good career. He's a, been a popular figure. He's had some great fights. But, dude, enough is enough, man. Yeah. You're going to die in the ring.
0: If you keep at this, and and that was, uh, and that was brain damage type stuff. I mean, we're not, over, I mean we're not. we're not. We're not overselling here. This no. is not hyperbole. The eighth, ninth, and tenth round. I mean, you're you're looking at this is what brain damage comes from. This you're is taking a this life kind of, altering yeah. beating. Yeah, yeah. And you
1: know what? And as I'm watching him get his ass kicked, I'm thinking about Yerba Sinelli from a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, up in uh, in Minneapolis against David Morrell. Not the same situation, but. How long are you going to let a beating go on? Now, the referee finally stopped it. Um, and, it, you know, and to the to the credit of the referee, to some degree, it didn't get stopped because he got dropped or there was some huge punch. It was just like – it was just another combination in the middle of the ring. And it's like enough is enough already. The guy, I think he got I'm sick and tired of watching Derek Chisora get beat up, as, as I did and probably many others because – uh that fight should have been stopped and i'm not monday morning quarterbacking it i was writing it on twitter at the time mm-hmm. in, in real time as it was occurring it was just uh it was pathetic i mean so fury gets his title defense he gets his second fight into the year gets the the whatever rust may have been on and hopefully
0: next we be Usyk. okay so let's get to that we don't know if that is going to be next for sure but certainly it was entertaining after the fight where Usyk was at ringside along with Joe Joyce. They both came up to the ring apron and fury goes into his world wrestling entertainment promo mode, calling them both out uh, staring down Usyk on the PA mic for the whole crowd to hear. This is by design to help hype things. And I love the different uh, metaphors and adjectives. He's going, you rabbit, you run, you rabbit. Uh, and, and going on and on about it. Okay. Then came something interesting where he revealed, I have an elbow injury, and that could complicate matters here, where he said, uh, just like I had to have my left elbow operated on after the Wilder fight last October, I need to have my elbow operated on. He told Mark Kriegel of ESPN that in the ring, and then he elaborated after the fight again that it needs surgery. Okay, factor that in. We all want to see Fury Usyk, but how much concern do you have? Does anybody that understands this, that if there's elbow surgery, That's likely going to mean Usyk fights somebody else while Fury goes on the mend. Or what do you think?
1: I don't think that's happening. I mean, if he needs surgery, so be it. He said he also had a right hand problem. He had hurt it by hitting uh, Derek uh, (laughs) Tisora's big head uh, so many times during the course of the fight. But it seemed to me that the elbow was a little bit more serious because he felt like that needed surgery. Now we don't know for sure if he needs surgery. He's not a doctor. Um, Granted it's his body. He's had the surgery on the other elbow before. So he probably knows what it feels like, but even that, uh, being the case that's uh, from what he said and what it occurred in the last surgery, you're talking to six to eight weeks. So if he has a medical exam and he has surgery sometime in the next couple of weeks, um, it's, it should still be okay enough for him to be back in the ring, you know, come the early, uh, early spring at the, at the soonest, which is when sort of the fight was being contemplated anyway, but it was sick probably in that March to April timeframe, perhaps they'll push it back to April, maybe the beginning of May, but it's not going to be, at least doesn't seem like, unless they find some more damage, that it's anything more than a couple of months and then he can still have a full training camp and, uh, and get this big fight on. Hopefully uh, that will take place. I mean, he did offer up the prospect of fighting uh, Joe Joyce if uh, they couldn't make the deal. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll make a deal. I see no uh, roadblocks to making it. I think the sanctioning bodies will all stand down. Uh, as as uh, Bob Arum uh, has said many times, which is Tyson Fury's co-promoter, there's an excellent relationship in terms of business between Bob and top Rank with uh, Usyk's manager, Agus Clemus. Uh, Bob has a relationship with uh, Usyk as well. There's no promotional issues. There's no TV issues. It's just, uh, you know, what's the biggest amount of money we can get for a site? And let's get it on.
0: Now, you had fear, not fear, you have concern that the fact that the IBF wants Philip Hergovich to get a mandatory shot might stand in the way of if Usyk gets stripped of a title, then it's, it's not what we want. How concerned are you that, because I believe Usyk will go ahead and just fight Fury anyway. It's the biggest payday, but I I think that, I mean, look,
1: whatever, whatever happens in terms of, do they make the fight? I do think that at this stage, if the two sides elect to fight each other, that the sanctioning bodies are going to allow this fight to take place for the four belts. They would be, stupid if they didn't because it's against their own benefit i mean mm-hmm. typically the sanction bodies do things for their own good understandably and this would be uh, a big big mega fight there's no reason for it not to take place uh and if there's an issue i'm sure they can work something out it wouldn't be the first time there'd be somebody to step aside um what happens when you got to pay the piper is if they are allowed to do this fight for all four belts is what happens on Monday morning, after that fight takes place, that's when all the letters start flying and orders get made for mandatories and guys give up titles or guys get stripped. There's no chance, probably almost, almost slim and none, that if the fight happens, that the winner can still maintain the four belts. And frankly, at that point, you know the the mission has been accomplished anyway. But uh, I, I look uh, his his health of, of his elbow and his hand, obviously, is important. But other than that. It, it seems like they can make this in fairly short order, and as big fights go, not a lot of drama compared to other big fights.
0: To get it made, to find a way to get it made, same promotion as you mentioned, or promoters that are familiar with each other, go and work it out and figure it out. All right, we progress, and actually, let's go backwards to the co-feature fight on that card uh, that saw Daniel Dubois defend his secondary WBA heavyweight championship again. Usyk has got the super. What are the? Correct me. Is it the super belt? the World belt, whatever they consider it by the WBA. Here, he, here he's the real WBA
1: super champion and he was the I, you know they, the regular champion. I refer to them any of the WBA uh regular champions, if you will. I call them secondary title holders. He's like the junior varsity.
0: I mean, All it's right, important
1: because it gives him certain stature, it, it gives him certain privileges in terms of there's a purse bid in terms of getting a larger percentage. Nobody. I mean, and it's not a knock at any of the athletes that hold those second tier titles. I don't blame them, but I remember a conversation I had not that long ago, last year, when they were uh, when the WBA was going through their process of eliminating interim titles and 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 trying to get down to the two titles. I was talking to uh, Roly Romero at the time, who was, I believe, the WBA's interim champion at that time at 135 pounds or 130, whatever it was, and he was like that. He was like, "I don't even care. I just." You know, to me, it was a stepping stone to get to the big belt. And I think Dubois and anybody else that holds either the secondary title or at one point held an interim title understands that these are a vehicle to get to the point where you can fight for the real championships. All
0: right. So Dubois, uh, Dubois in the ring. He showed, by
1: the way, that he's junior varsity last uh, night. All right.
0: right. So Dubois with a lot to risk against a South African, Kevin Lorena, who's primarily been a cruiserweight, although he's fought some heavyweights recently. And Lorena pops him with a straight left hand. That caught him kind of on the top of the forehead. And suddenly, Dubois is loosey goosey in the ring without legs. And it became crazy and dramatic as the first round unfolded. And it became bizarre, too, Dan Rayfield. And I'm, I was in communication with you as well on. Dubois went down on his own without a punch being thrown, not once, but twice as that round went on. Lorena did not even throw a punch and he went down. When he went down the, the first time without the punch being thrown, he looked at his corner very clearly on the live broadcast and shook his head, no, like, I don't know what's wrong. He later admitted his leg was hurting or numb. He couldn't feel it and couldn't walk. All right, you pick it up from there because it very so, nearly could have been a stoppage in the first round. It seemed like. the first knockdown was a punch
1: and when he got hit with the punch and he went to the canvas on the way down he maybe tweaked his ankle or tweaked his knee and that caused a problem so when he went down the second time it seemed like that was the issue that the knee or the leg or whatever was going on with his ankle I am still not really clear uh top ranks post-fight release said it was a knee problem I've not heard an, an interview with Dubois saying so in any event some kind of leg issue uh, on the second let me interject which,
0: which he told it, interject because we're, we're uh both covering this and we help each other out he told bt sport in the post fight interview with joe anchor i believe is how you say her name he said i couldn't feel my leg i didn't know what i did to my knee that's essentially what he said okay and he goes so i mean he he obviously had trouble standing up pick it up go ahead
1: and and so that was the second knockdown the third knockdown I do thought I did think there was a punch of some type, but the is this is where really I come more... back at
0: you. No, there's no okay. punch. There's no but, punch at the time that he goes down. He's just, he kind of got hit. He kind of wobbles back a little bit. He he puts his guard back up and then he goes down and it's, it's but like the main, the
1: main uh, thing here is his problem started because he took a clean yeah. shot from Kevin Lorena and messed up his leg on the way down, which we've seen. I mean, this, again, I'm going to date myself. I remember, you know, years ago, uh, you know, Derek Jefferson, the one time heavyweight contender going down and breaking his ankle essentially against Oleg Mastia. The knockdown, you know, was damaging, but it was really when he fell, the leg hurt him. Mm -hmm. Michael Grant, another heavyweight contender that fought Lennox Lewis for the title. When he came back, he had a fight where, you know, he got knocked down, but it wasn't so much the knockdown that messed him up. It was because he hurt the leg going down. I mean, that happens, you know, when you fall and you twist your knee in a weird way or your ankle in a weird way, uh, that can come back to haunt you. So, you know, Dubois, was able to come back. Now, the referee or or the timekeeper, it's like everybody was trying to help this guy out because it seemed like they cut the round short. They rang the bell with about eight or nine or 10 or 11 seconds left. So that's big <laughs> when you're almost done in the first round.
0: I didn't even know that. You're breaking news to me on so, the fight freak. But that's not Dubois' out. fault. So he came back right. in the second round
1: and was clobbering Lorena late. It was almost like Lorena was afraid to get the knockout. He, like, he put the handcuffs on and decided not to punch back right. because to have Daniel Dubois, down three times possibly uh, compromised with a bad pin and you can't get the stoppage. There's a problem there. And when the fight finally was ended at the end of the first or at the end of the second round, I understand there was a big uppercut in there that hurt him, but the round, the bell was ringing. The referee absolutely should have allowed him to have the one minute rest period before waving off. But in, in, in that situation on that promotion, on that card, you know, everything is in Dubois favor. Uh, as I said, you know, I hope Daniel Dubois uh, sends off a very nice uh, Christmas card to the referee, Howard Foster, yes. who, well, by the way, not his first time being involved
0: in this no. type of fight where there's a controversial stoppage. You knew where I was going with that. He's been he's been in a couple of different messes even recently. Um, <clears throat> I'm just sick and tired of the bullshit type like this. It happens all the time. Yeah. And it's it starting to piss me off. Well, I can tell. You're a little cantankerous. That's good. You're not feeling oh. good. but in, But in this case... In this case, uh, I thought it was fascinating audio. Okay, so can we're, we're just banging on everything? But by the way,
1: by the way, let's also not let ESPN off the hook. I'm coming like the right there.
0: Pre- let me do it, and then you follow okay, up. Okay, go All for right. it, man. So they had pre-planned, and I understand how TV production works, and so does you. So do you? They had pre-planned to interview Tyson Fury on the ESPN portion of the feed, which again, BT Sport is the main controller of the feed. ESPN's the secondary. They're running their own broadcast with their own announcers, but they're kind of at the mercy of BT sport. So ESPN also has a producer there. We're getting behind the scenes now in the broadcasting and they have the ability to cut to something else if they want. And they had lined up to talk to Tyson Fury after the bell rang at the end of the first round with Mark Kriegel back in the dressing room. So they're promoting that while Dubois flopping around on the, on the ring, they're promoting. They're going to still talk to Tyson Fury bell rings and we try to go to the interview with Fury which you can't hear there's no audio and conveniently the audio good for us is still left up on Dubois corner cuz i went back and listened and you can hear what's being said but that whole thing was a technical train wreck first of so- all first of all joe tessator does a fantastic job most of the time calling boxing but he was apparently oblivious oblivious to maybe it's a knee injury and why has he gone down twice without a punch even being thrown? Let's at least address he just went down again without a punch being thrown. What's going on? Okay. thing. So go the ahead. Yes. I've been around live
1: television production for over 20 years. I worked at ESPN for a long time. Yep, For 15 years, I worked at ESPN. I did yep. a lot of live television for ESPN. If you have a pre-planned interview with Tyson Fury between rounds one and two, and the guy's been down three times, you know what? Two things can happen. Either you bag the interview, because what the hell is Tyson Fury going to say? We haven't heard all week. Right. But I understand you're in the dressing room. It's before the heavyweight championship fight. I get get it. Tape the interview. Amen. Show it a couple of minutes later. Nothing's going to change. They didn't show a single replay of the knockdowns between rounds, which is unforgivable. And on top of that, the interview that was all hype, again, not not the fault of (laughs) the announcers, not Mark Riegel's fault, there was no audio. So yes. it was a complete fucking train wreck, as you said. <laughs> it was a horrible situation. They fucked up by by doing the interview and not showing the replays. When they did the interview, there was no audio, and we still never saw the replays. And wow. it was very confusing because, as you said, we see my boy Kriegel talking a fury in the dressing room. We can't hear what anybody's saying, and meanwhile, I'm hearing on my on my screen uh, whatever is chirping and going on in Daniel Dubois's corner, yes. and I'm still not seeing a replay. And then the round starts, and nobody fucking mentions <laughs> that. Oh, by the way, he might have fucked up his knee. <laughs>
0: Well said on summing it up. And he got good advice actually, because you could tell he was saying through his mouth guard. He he said, I hurt my leg. And he's pointing at his leg. I went back. I listened. I turned it up. He said, I hurt my leg. I can't, you know, I can't, I hurt my leg. And so then the corner says, whoever that is, says, I don't want you throwing wide punches. I want you to only throw straight punches. And I want you to stay away. In other words, let's get your leg back under you, which he did in the second round. And finally in the third round, He ended the fight. So inadvertently, accidentally, we got to hear the good corner audio that we wanted because of all of that that we just said. Uh, And Dubois ends up getting the win. All right, so let's put a bow on this if we can. He gets the win. What does this mean now? I I think you, you have the same concern because Joe Joyce beat this guy, fractured his eye orbital and beat him. This guy, Kevin Lorena, dropped him and had him wobbled. All right, so what's the gauge? What's the short term? Prospects and future for Daniel Dubois. What do you think? When he was coming up, he looked like he was going
1: to be something spectacular. And he's still a very good boxer. He's got good power. He's got good personality. He's got good background. Uh, He's in good shape. And it just feels like when when he's in there with an A-level guy, he's going to get blown out because he's not going to be able to take the heat. You know, Joe Joyce beat him down, bludgeoned him, hurt him bad, uh, broke him up. And I don't know if he's ever going to be the same from that. I mean, the guys he's fought since then have not exactly been murderers as well. Bogdan, Dinu, Journeyman, you know, Joe Kusamano, complete, you know, nothing. Not this match. Trevor Bryan was the mandatory. Trevor Bryan was a manufactured 22-0, and 0, you know, with a fake belt, and he went and he destroyed him. And now he comes back against Lorena, who I said to you on our that U.S. show was competent. I didn't think it was a complete and total blowout, which it wasn't. Um, somebody made, and I don't remember if it was, somebody on Twitter made the comment that, it feels like after seeing him not being able to take the shots with Joyce or with Lorena, that maybe we're looking at a, a, a Frank Bruno 2.0, a guy with a great body, great boxing ability, tremendous power, lovable type of guy, but it's going to lose the big one because he can't take the heat. You know, that's that was Frank Bruno's reputation. Now, Frank Bruno did win a heavyweight title briefly. Um, of course, he got destroyed in his biggest fights against Tyson. Um, and hopefully Dubois can heal up the knee and come back stronger and improve.
0: Yep. And we don't know again, was it a serious injury or whatever? Uh, I don't know. We'll wait for the further updates on that. And will it delay things on him? All right. So that kind of puts a bow on that card, the Queensberry top rank co-promoted card in London with the two heavyweights. All right. So let's move on now on the fight freaks unite recap to the main event of the matchroom boxing DeZone show. Once again, it delivered Juan Francisco Estrada Roman, Chocolatito, Gonzalez, they battled to another 12-round. I'll describe it as hotly contested. I thought Chocolatito was winning the fight early, uh, but I thought Estrada no, no. came thought, on. You thought Estrada was winning the fight early. I thought Chocolatito, through the first three or four rounds, had really? won a couple of the rounds. Yes. I thought, well, let's put it this way. I thought it was at least like 2-2. I didn't think it was a shutout. I didn't think it was one-sided. Okay. All right. Well, I just, but I think clearly, Estrada really came on in the middle of the fight. Go ahead. Go ahead with your analysis.
1: I mean, the judges and I don't even disagree with them. They all had uh, Estrada, you know, ahead after five rounds. Two judges I think had given him the first five rounds. One judge had given him four of the first five rounds. Um, I gave him four of the first five rounds. If so what mistaken. you're saying
0: is, as usual, I'm clueless. But continue. No, it's
1: not, clu- it's not clueless. It was they were competitive. <laughs> you know, it just felt like Estrada was doing more of the work. He was coming forward. He was landing more shots. He was, you know, Dito you know, was backing up. And Chocolatito, I've been watching for many years. He's notoriously a slow starter. It's, it's what cost him uh, probably in the first fight against Sai, which I still feel like he got robbed in. It, it cost him obviously in the second fight against against uh, Estrada, even though I thought he won that fight, as many did. And it definitely cost him in the fight on Saturday. Uh, you know, he gets going later on in the fight. Look, it was a, it was another terrific fight. These guys are made for each other. They're both going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Roman Gonzalez is you know, one of the greatest small weight fighters in the history of boxing. And even though he's now, uh, got two losses and one win against, uh, Estrada, you know, he will be remembered as the greater fighter overall, even though he may not be, uh, you know, he may be lesser in terms of the head to head record. Uh, again, nothing against Estrada, in my opinion, chocolate was two wins, zero losses and one draw against Estrada because I thought Saturday's fight was a draw. I thought he, well, he won the first fight. No one even argues that the second fight. I thought he definitely won. And it's sort of like a Canelo triple G situation. Uh, you know, Canelo Alvarez officially is two wins, no losses and a draw against uh triple G. And there's a lot of people who feel like triple G, the reality is that he should be, uh, you know, possibly two wins and one loss, maybe one win, one loss, one draw, that type of thing, but certainly not, you know, Oh, two and one that he should have had one of those W's in there, either the first or second fight. And Chocolatito was in a similar situation with Estrada, but they put on another terrific fight. I don't think it lived up to the to the to the pre-fight talk where the two guys were saying it's going to be the best fight of the trilogy. It's going to be the fight of the year because it's not the fight of the year and it's not the best fight of the trilogy. But it was was a high-class fight between two great fighters. Uh, they fought for the junior bantamweight supremacy. You know Estrada maintains that lineal title based on the victory uh, before. He also picks up the vacant WBC title, which he had that had been stripped or vacated or whatever. So he's got a belt again. Uh, still the Ring Magazine champion. They talked about the possibility of a fourth fight. Um, Estrada seemed game four. Chocolatito was not, he, he was not against it. He's like, how much are they going to pay me? To talk to the family, think about him possibly retiring. Matchroom's uh, promoter, Eddie Hearn, who's involved with both fighters, uh, certainly was not opposed to a fourth fight, but he seems to have other ideas. He'd like to match Estrada possibly with uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, the flyweight champion who won his bout on the undercard who had lost his previous fight in a non-title fight fighting at junior band weight against Roman Gonzalez. And there's also the possibility of maybe against a Bam Rodriguez down the road after he, if he can collect the, uh, the, the flyweight title from the WBO, which remember he vacated uh, one of the titles uh, in the heavier weight class. But the point is there's other fights out there for Estrada and if Roman Gonzalez decides to continue his career there's going to be other opportunities also. Uh, you know, Nonito, Nonito is was there at the fight. He would like to fight for one of the titles uh, at Junior Bantamweight, as he has told me and others. Uh, as, as great of a fighter as Donaire is, champion at Flyweight, champion at Bantamweight, Junior Featherweight and Featherweight, he had an interim title for a minute at Junior Bantamweight, but it's the one that he never got a full title. And he said he could make that weight and he would like to go down and pick up the belt that he never won before and, and win a title in yet another weight class. So, uh, that is certainly a possibility, you know. We'll have to we'll have to see. But the main thing is, there's still there's still
0: good fights out there for these guys if they want to keep going. And Chocolatito showed a lot of heart. He's older. He had taken a lot of punishment. <clears throat> he was still firing back in the late rounds. This is the this is the opposite. Oh, he's
1: so strong. T. Sure, and strong. this is
0: this is the opposite of what we were lamenting. I'll use that word with Chisora having sure. no chance and doing nothing but taking punishment. Chocolatito was wailing right back, scoring to the body. Uh, and winning a couple of rounds late in the fight that made it a very a couple, close he, he fight. Pretty and he pretty much,
1: yeah, he 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 won a lot of the late rounds. I mean, in the ninth round was probably his biggest round of the fight. He, you know, again, if you look at CompuBox, he threw a hundred punches in that round mm. for a guy 30, 35 years old at that got a little weight class. That's and by the way, and he landed like thirty of them. So he was landing punches, and uh, you know, in the last round, the twelfth round, which you know was very close round, probably could have gone either way. They really were were going back and forth, toe to toe. If one of those judges that gave the last two rounds to Estrada had flipped it and made it a a chocolatino round. If I I looked at the cards accurately, we would have had a majority draw, not a majority decision. So it was that kind of close fight. And I have seen, no one's out there saying it's super controversial, but there's a lot of folks that I've seen or spoke to or texted with, close fight either for Roman, close fight either for uh, Estrada, or a lot of folks that also had it a draw. I mean, it was that kind of fight and a and terrific it, fight.
0: All right. And give me a little more on the undercard. You mentioned Julio Cesar Martinez. Give me a little more on the undercard there, and then we'll get to a little news and get you out of here as well on uh, On the recap on this uh, for this weekend. What else? What else from the undercard on the Matchroom Show?
1: Well, as far as T, uh, TJ, as you mentioned about Julio Cesar Martinez, you know, he had, as I mentioned just a moment ago, he lost pretty one-sided in a junior band fight, a non-title fight to Roman Gonzalez. Back in March, that was when he filled in for Estrada because Estrada had to withdraw from the third fight because of COVID, the same way that Chocolatito had had to do in the fall because he had COVID. Uh, in any event, uh, Martinez lost pretty one-sided, but he went back down to flight. He was supposed to have the rematch with uh, McWilliams Arroyo after their wild no contest that had taken place at the end of 2021. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Arroyo dropped out because of a, a neck or a back injury. And so in came uh, the uh, Spanish Olympian, Samuel Carmona, eight, no good amateur background, very confident. And uh, on short notice, uh, you know, they were able to keep his uh, title defense alive. And it started out pretty well where Carmona did great in the first handful of first half of the fight first several rounds was out boxing uh, Martinez and really kind of making him look foolish to be honest with you. But then something happened where it appeared like Carmona hurt his hand and he then decided he wasn't going to fight anymore. Now, he just decided to run. It was like watching the worst of Guillermo Rigondo or the worst of Aristotle. He was literally running around the ring. And I'm really not sure why you're running. if You've got a hurt hand. You still have another hand you can use, you know, professional fighters are, are schooled in both hands and he was a top amateur. So it's not like he doesn't know how to use the other hand. In any event uh, he ran so much, you know, that Martinez was able to win most of those late rounds and ended up winning a majority decision to keep the title, but it was a, you know, it was an absolutely horrible fight, not because of Martinez, but because of uh, all the running that Kermona did. But Martina wins, he moves on. I mean, I guess they'll probably still order the Arroyo rematch because technically that's a mandatory given uh, that it had been ordered before because he's the champion and Arroyo is the interim title holder of the WBC. But as I said, Eddie Hearn is in the mindset of possibly matching Martinez if he wants to go back up to the uh, junior bantamweight division and take on uh, Juan Francisco Estrada. You know he could also be there as a future opponent for Bam Rodriguez as well. So there's still business to be done. Uh, Martinez and Estrada would probably be a pretty big deal in Mexico. You know, two WBC champions from you know different weight classes fighting each other. Uh, that was the co-feature on the on the card. And then uh, in terms of the rest of the show, you know, it was it was interesting because you had uh, the excellent prospect Diego Pacheco, who's uh, now 17 and 0, who is uh, a guy that signed with Eddie Hearn from day one. Young guy, signed when he was still a teenager. Now he's just barely 20 years old, uh, 20 or 21 years old. I mean, just a really good-looking prospect from Los Angeles. He's 21 now. And uh, he just looked – you know, he wasn't fighting like a super top guy, Adrian Luna, uh, Ricardo Adrian Luna, but he just bombed him out of there in two rounds. It was very impressive the way he took care of his business. You know, he's had a really good year. I think a lot of people will look at him as a – if not the prospect of the year, certainly in the top uh, few. I think he's in the top few in terms of if you're making your prospect of the year list, which I've been doing for, you know, over 20 years. Um, so he's he's a fine prospect in a in a weight class where you know he's gonna make some noise in the not too distant future. Yeah, it's sort of an upset. Christopher Rosales, who's a former title holder, uh, he defeated Josalito Velasquez, the undefeated Olympian. Uh that was an upset. That was a terrific fight. That was the opening TV fight. And uh in the what they call before the bell, these are fights that are not on the main card. The other prospects that Matchroom has in their uh stable, uh, Americans anyway. Uh, They all look pretty good. Mainly, I'm talking about Mark Castro from Fresno, who moved to 9-0, and put on a terrific display in an eight-round decision win over um, Michael Lopez. He's a lightweight, just just great conditioning, really settling down into the professional ranks. I think a couple of fights ago, I, I really noticed that he's really sort of shed the amateur way he fights. He's much more poised, much more relaxed, picks his shots not so wild. And then the middleweight, Austin Williams, He won basically close to a shutout, like 9-1 on the scorecards in his fight on that part of the card against Simon Madsen. You know, now he's 13-0. Again, an up-and-coming middleweight, exciting, uh, good personality. And, you know, these are guys to keep an eye on. I mean, they're the undercard fights now. Down the road, you know, you got to figure they're going to move on to the main card and someday co-feature. And eventually, if they keep winning, we'll see them in headlining fights.
0: Like all of that, love your insight as part of the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. All right, remaining couple of moments. There were a couple of, News items and fight <laughs> announcements. I know Bob Arum was talking about a couple of them, including the Josh Taylor Jack Catterall fight that we believed was going to happen, but probably February is now maybe on the move. What else? What else do we have from anything else? Uh, Saturday to Sunday as we come off the weekend.
1: Well, as far as that goes, when he was in the UK uh, helping promote the Tyson Fury Derek Chisora event, uh, you know he did speak and say that this Catterall and uh, Taylor rematch for uh, Josh Taylor's on. Uh, WBO junior welterweight title remember he was undisputed but it vacated or stripped because he wanted to go for this rematch given the controversy from their fight that took place uh, earlier in the year anyway that fight was penciled in for February 4th in Glasgow uh Taylor's home turf um now it's going to get moved to March there was some kind of scheduling issue uh that is causing an issue there so it's going to get put off by another month and uh you know the only negative part about that is it's just another uh month added on to what is going to have been a very long layoff for these two guys they'll be over a year I guess, by the time they get back in the ring. So the fight's still going to happen, I guess, but they're just going to have to situate it on a different date. Um, and as far as dates go, uh, one thing I reported about, uh, remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, you had Caleb uh, Plant and David Benavides, the super middleweights. Caleb uh, Plant, the former uh, title holder that was beaten by Canelo in the Undisputed Fight. You have David Benavides, who is now, he's a two-time WBC title holder, has now the WBC's interim title in any event. Everybody knows Plant and Benavides have been talking a lot of shit for a while they announced on their social media that they had signed contracts for a fight in the early part of next year. Uh, and so that's going to happen. But now I am told that the date for that penciled in is March 18th. Las Vegas will is being planned as a showtime pay-per-view fight. That's a little disappointing that that'll be on pay-per-view that shows you where we've gone in this business, <laughs> that, uh that fight, which is a good fight. I'm not knocking the fight, but that would now become like basically like a $75 pay-per-view uh, is extraordinarily disappointing in a moment in time where PBC is lining up a number of pay-per-view fights because besides plant against Benavides, you've got the, uh, January 7th tank Davis pay-per-view fight. You got the probability if he, everything goes okay of the April pay-per-view fight between him and, uh, Ryan Garcia, there's going to be a Deontay Wilder pay-per-view fight. Most likely they'll, if they can finalize the fight against Andy Ruiz, that's another pay-per-view. Uh, Errol Spence is going to be back in action, uh, in the, in the first half of the year probably against keith thurman that's another paper you love it
0: when i interject some humor there was an errol spence sighting on saturday he flipped the coin in the big 12 championship football game tcu and kansas state that ended up being a great game with kansas state upsetting tcu but we did see the truth we did see errol spence flip the coin there so there is proof of life An errol spence sighting now can we get him in the ring please continue on
1: we're going to get him in the ring but it's going to be on a pay-per-view basis and that's you know that's really disappointing. I just mentioned to you like five or mm-hmm. six fights that are all being yep. targeted as uh, PBC related show uh pay-per-view fights most of them I guess will be involved with Showtime. You know, it remains to be seen what Fox's involvement's gonna be next year given the end of their Fox PBC contract. And they really didn't do shit this year anyway, except show a few fights on preliminary cards uh you know during their pay-per-view. They didn't do there wasn't a single standalone Fox or Fox Sports One boxing event this year. They finished those up in December of last year. This year, they were simply a clearinghouse for pay-per-view events. And again, to help promote those pay-per-view events uh, in the hour or two hours prior to the pay-per-view commencing, they might show a couple of undercard preliminary bouts, you know, either on Fox or FS1. And what happens next year is still not clear. So Showtime is going to be asking, uh, along with PBC, for a lot of our money next year.
0: Well, and so I was just going to, and you just uh, tagged it right there at the end. My understanding was that the the deal is up with Fox. The option year that got picked up is over. So we don't know if Fox is still even going to be involved. And so would PBC now shop this? A lot of people believe because follow the bouncing ball of TV and how it works. Showtime is under the Paramount umbrella. And so that is also CBS. That's all the same thing. Would Uh, They expand the deal, Premier Boxing Champions, with more than just Showtime under the CBS Paramount umbrella. I don't know. I'm not reporting that. And I'm not clear on whether the Fox deal still is going to exist in some form for pay-per-view. But clearly, as you said, they don't have any interest any longer in standalone programming like Saturday nights in the summer on Fox or FS1 regular shows, or they'd be doing it. They don't have any interest in doing that. And the bottom line is whether it's on Fox pay per view or Showtime pay per view, the more
1: marquee PBC fights are going to be on pay per view. Now that doesn't mean that Showtime still can't put on some good fights. Obviously, they're going to do fights like, you know, uh, Jeremiah Ponce against uh, Sabriel Matias. Let's say for the the uh, vacant uh, one of the we- vacant junior welterweight titles. They're going to do a uh, Alberto Pueyo against Gary <laughs> Antoine Russell for you know, his uh, junior welterweight WBA title. They're going to do fights like Charlo versus Tim Zhu in the undisputed junior middleweight title fight, which is supposed to be January 28th. Now, those are not bad fights. but I'm not knocking. Those are solid fights. And by the way, the fights I mentioned, other than the Charlo fight, it's not even known if they'll be on Showtime or maybe they'll wind up on a pay-per-view undercard. But the point is, the fights that Showtime is talking about doing, uh, it's not like there are bad fights or anything like that. It's just they're not of the star power level of why you buy a subscription to a premium Agreed. network. Agreed. You know, if we're all of a sudden now, every Davis fight's going to be on pay-per-view, Spence is on pay-per-view, Wilder's on pay-per-view, and now we got Plant against Benavides on pay-per-view? Give me a fucking break.
0: All right, I think that's pretty good to end it on unless you have anything else, Mighty One, because I know you've been playing Hurt and we've covered the recap of fights. We've covered a little news. I think we're good for the week. Uh, Again, it's a week that will end and we'll be in the preview mode with Terrence Crawford back in the ring, speaking of pay-per-view, on a pay-per-view of his own in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, in his latest title defense, not fighting Errol Spence. We'll talk more about that later in the week. Other than that, I think we're good. Dan Rayfield, good stuff off the weekend in the recap mode. We'll be reading you and keeping up with you on the Fight Freaks Unite Substack and BigFightWeekend.com. Thank you, sir. Well,
1: just so you know, it's not just Crawford back in action next week. We also got T. Fima Lopez yeah, back Kirk. in action at the Garden on ESPN. Got Josh Warrington in his title defense against Luis Lopez on Saturday on uh, on DAZN. That's a pretty solid fight. You also have Michael Conlon in a fight uh, on Saturday in Belfast. So,
0: yeah, Manny Pacquiao in his exhibition in South Korea. So, <laughs> we got plenty of stuff to talk about. No doubt. In the preview mode, and we'll be writing about it and keeping up with it on BigFightWeekend.com. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. Good stuff. Hang in there. Feel Thanks, better. Thanks, TJ. You bet. And there we go. Once again, make sure you're following, subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, because you get the preview programming from the Big Fight Weekend preview heading into the weekend. And then you also get the recap, Fight Freaks Unite recap as well. We'll probably also on the podcast feed, by the way, put the Teofimo Lopez conversation that Dan had up on the podcast feed. You'll get that if you're following and subscribing. That'll be up midweek this week prior to... The takeovers return to Madison Square Garden this coming Saturday night. But right. now hold on. It's, it's the take back. It's the take back now. It was the takeover. The take that back. The take Teofimo back. Lopez, and he says that to you in the interview. You'll hear all of that if you're following and subscribing to the podcast. For now, we're good on the Fight Breach Unite recap. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us.